take the mark. You get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete Podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Going to bring you a bonus episode today. Unfortunately, the Robinson family has uh, been subjected to the COVID-19 virus, and so we've been preoccupied with making sure that uh, our athletic director, Marissa, gets the help that she needs, and that has taken us away from traditional recording. But the good news our podcast doesn't have to suffer because of that. Um, we are re-releasing a bonus episode uh, originally recorded in December of 2018 with the one and only David Clark. Now, for many of you, you might remember Coach Clark uh, helping Team Addict to Athlete and inspiring us to do great things with the We Are Superman project. This is actually the very first interview I was able to have with Coach David Clark. He, he was stopping through and on a little podcasting tour and jumped into the Addict to Athlete booth. We'd known David for a while, but this kind of solidified the relationship that was to come and, and really kind of grew into an amazing relationship. If you listen um, to this podcast, it's, it's amazing. The, um, the connection that David and I had, uh, it was so natural and it was so good. This is us introducing the team to David and David to the team, and I think that it will go down in history as one of my absolute favorite podcasting recording moments. Again, this originally aired in um, on the Pod Bash Network, formerly before uh, Radio Ronin, and so we thought we'd lost it. We found it. The Patreon subscribers have already heard this. They got this as a bonus episode uh, last December, I believe, or, or sometime even before that, maybe November. But I wanted to share this with you just um, to remember David. Last Friday uh, was David's, uh, would have been 50th birthday. And so I think it's a fitting tribute that we listen to our very first uh, interaction with Coach David Clark, just to get a little bit of a remembrance going, uh, a sense of gratitude for all that he taught in the short amount of time that we knew him. And as you know, last year, David had gone into a surgery that should have been fairly routine. And unfortunately, due to some circumstances there, lost his life and uh, then came an end to an amazing experience, an amazing man. But nonetheless, we don't look at it as a uh, as a loss as much as it is a, a sense of gratitude for what he did for the team. So before we get rocking and rolling with uh, the interview with Coach David Clark, I want to give a shout out and thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Patreon subscribers, we could not do this without you. You guys are, are helping us so much. And, and I hope that the bonus material, uh, I hope that the uh, merchandise and all the stuff that you're getting with the perks of the tiers that you've chosen, I hope they're I hope they're working for you. I want to give a special shout out to our super fans: Jerem Thurston, Tara Butson, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, and the Foster family, Brett Fru, and Chelsea Olson, as well as the Warrior Within Podcast and Personal Development Program by Sensei KP. Thank you to all of our super fans. For our rookies, thank you: Josh Hansen, Kenny Roseman, Gary Thurston, Earl Dyer, Coach Michelle Hansen, and Joe Jackson. Thank you to all of our rookie level subscribers. You guys are rock stars. The pro level subscriber, thank you so much. Selena Armitage, Selena, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And of course, our two championship level subscribers. Uh, I couldn't thank the, the Robisons, Shad and Freya enough, as well as Ron and D. Loesch. Thank you guys so much for all that you're doing. The championship level subscribers are are just amazing people and have a very special place in my heart. They're making it possible along with the other subscribers to move this podcast forward to get from our, our one podcast a week up to three. And uh, I really do have a deep sense of gratitude for them. 
If you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber yourself, go on patreon.com backslash addictioathlete. Choose a tier or experience that works best for you. Each tier comes with its own perks and uh, all the way from getting bonus material all the way up to uh, you know merchandise, exclusive deals, all kinds of fun stuff. So jump on Addict to Athletes uh, webpage for more information on that. Well, without further ado, athletes, let's get rolling into Coach David Clark's interview. Like I said, originally aired and broadcast in December 2018. This was the first time uh, Coach Clark was on our podcast. It wasn't the last. Um, we actually did double duty this time. Just prior uh, to uh, to this podcast, we recorded his We Are Superman podcast, he and I together. Um, so at this point, we had already gotten one in, and uh, I'm excited to share this with you. Again, this is a, a bonus episode. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Athletes, take your mark. It is absolutely time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. I'm going to be your host today, Coach Blue Robinson. And I got to tell you, it's going to be an awesome one today. We are super excited to have a really good friend, uh, a really awesome man, an inspiration, a leader, a titan of his industry, I'll even call him. <laughs> We've got the pleasure of speaking to Mr. David Clark. Say hello. Hello. What is my industry? Your industry is just being amazing, <laughs> just being inspirational. Awesome. You're doing some cool stuff, brother. Uh, Addict to Athlete, we're excited to be back out here on the podcast. I want to thank the Pod Bash Network, Jimmy Chunga, and all those who help us put this thing out there. It's going to be a great tool for you to use uh, to help you erase your addiction and replace it with things of greater value. We're looking at uh, some neat things coming up. We keep a close eye to our, our uh, Facebook pages and our website for dates and opportunities to come out and meet the team and participate. And we're really excited, but you know what? we don't have much time because our man David's got a hard cutout. He's got to get back to his hometown, so we're going to jump right into it. Speed talk. It's going to be good. Questions, so, fire them, fire them. Here they come, rapid fire. <laughs> so we're doing double duty. We just wrapped up uh, David's podcast. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, David? Tell a little bit about your uh, your, 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 your We Are Superman, and uh, sure. I'll kind of jump in there and kind of get you going. Just what turned you on to all of this uh, athleticism and whatnot? Well, you know, it's interesting because to, to tell the name of uh, my social media name and all that kind of stuff is We Are Superman. Love it. My website is wearesuperman.com. It's the name of the podcast. I put on. But honestly, the name came from my son and it came from the finish of my first hundred mile race. Brilliant. And, um, you know, I, I wrote a book called Out There that mm -hmm. is very much about the journey. I started as a 320 pound guy, big fat guy. So you know? hard to wrap my head around seeing you. And battling with, you know, depression and substance abuse and food addiction and, you know, just being in a really broken place. I was a broken human being. And mm -hmm. I went about this quest to kind of break down that identity trap and cage that I put myself in and see if I could uh, do the big impossible, which, right. which honestly wasn't a hundred mile run. It was a marathon. Um, which, of course, being the good addict that I am, com completely dismissed immediately as not being a big accomplishment. Yeah. I, I later revisited that, and, and, and it's actually one of my most cherished accomplishments now. But in be. that moment, I, I dismissed it in any way. I, I, I've settled on the Leadville 100, and um, I got it done. It was a long, incredibly incredible. painful journey. And at the end of it, my 8-year-old son told me that, or a 5-year-old son at the time, said that um, he thought I'd turn into Superman. Nice. And I told him, um, no, no, but we can all be Superman for one day, and one day is enough to change your whole life. 
That's amazing. And that was, you know, kind of just fell out of my mouth. And that was uh, that was the start of it. That's the coolest thing. In your podcast we just recorded, you talked a little bit about why you chose that name. Yeah. We are Superman. Tell a little bit about that, because I think that that philosophy plays right into our concepts here at Addict Athlete. Yeah, it's really cool because, you know, all these other superheroes, you know, that, that like Iron Man has a suit and, you know, mm-hmm. so does Batman and Spider-Man was bitten by a radioactive spider, you yeah. know. And interestingly, I'm not like a comic book geek guy either. Uh-huh. I just I never was. But Superman just it was always fascinating to me because on his planet mm-hmm. where he's from, He's just a regular person. Like Superman on this planet is 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 just a normal person. Right. But when his planet was destroyed, Krypton, mm-hmm. and his parents sent him to Earth, um, if he didn't die in that transition, he arrived in a new place with new powers and mm-hmm. new things. And it just struck me as being that kind of ironic, you yeah. know, that I could relate to that story in a way because I feel nowadays with 12 years of sobriety that the world that I live in is not the world that mm-hmm. I was lost in. Exactly. You know, and that my my journey back to Earth was, um, you know, discovering that kind of um, power that was always there that I just needed to change the way I saw the world. And I love it. Yeah. It's such a good thing, too. And so, you know, I, I love that concept and that philosophy, especially when it comes from, like, out of the mouth of babes, right? Out of, out of your son. And yeah. it's kind of cool when when you're doing something where your own children can look at you and be like, you are a superhero to me, Dad. Like that, to me, that's one of the coolest things and one of the most amazing like compliments you can be as a father is for your kid to look up to you. Sure. It's the coolest thing. Well, especially because, honestly, there was some of that written into to my rise, if you mm-hmm. will. I remember wandering around my house, you know, drunk at 3 mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning when they were just babies. Yeah. And, um, you know, going into their room and watching them sleep you know, with a bottle of scotch in my hand and yeah. just wondering, you know, these, these guys might be better off without, without me, me, you know, like, Scary what am I, what are, what are they going to, what am I going to teach them? Yeah. You know, because at that moment, not drinking didn't seem like a realistic possibility. You know, mm-hmm. I was just where I was. And yeah, so I, I, when I did finally, um, get, you know, the, found the place where I was willing to just, you know, admit that I was kind of beaten mm-hmm. and that um, I was willing to try to try to do anything to get out. It was, I wanted to do it for myself, but there was also written into that and baked into the, this idea that if I could save myself in the process, I could show my kids that there's no such thing as too far gone. I love it. You know, and that, that it's never too late. That, that's such a, it's such a powerful concept, and I, I love that. Being able to teach your family through experience, through, through being an, an active participant to life, and, and being able to, to be there with them. You know, and it's one thing I try to teach a lot of our athletes is, if you're going to be a parent, you're going to have to parent out of your inconvenience. It's not easy to be a parent, sure. you know, but I think that's cool. So getting back to your journey, you, uh, I'm kind of curious as to what your pivot point was. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I read Dean Karnaz's book, you know, and he talks about being in the bar and then having the girls hitting on him. And he's like, you know what, this isn't what I want to do. He goes out and runs 30 miles the uh, first time. That was not my story. <laughs> yeah. I, w- w- who could do that but him, right? And, and, you know, my pinnacle when I was sitting there, you know, hanging out with with the, with the, the Friends TV show and when I you know, got this mountain bike and stuff and I was making these choices to, to change, like what was that pivot point for you that was like when you said something's got to give? What was that? You know, it's interesting because I'll tell you what the moment should have been, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I wrote about this in my book and there was a Christmas Eve in, in I think it was 2002 or somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, 2002, 2003, yeah, because the kids were, they were babies and 
You know, I used to have this really romanticized picture of the holidays, and it was really just another excuse to drink. Right. You know, but but so I, I you know, I had a bunch of people over, and, and I was doing quite well then. You know, I was, you know, 29 or 30 years old, and yeah. I, I grew up very poor in, in very tough circumstances, but I I'd got to this place where I, I owned a large business. I was making a lot of money, and I like to... You know, I mean, I guess probably more accurate to say show off my money, but I, right. I like to enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know, and buy expensive booze mm-hmm. and, and have people over and, you know, we have crab and lobster, and which is funny because I'm a vegan now. But yeah. yeah. But anyway, like we had this big, big evening and then everybody left and um, the kids eventually went upstairs and went to sleep. My wife did. It's Christmas Eve. And so I just sat there drinking and I've been drinking all day, of course. Right. And all of a sudden I realized it was midnight, one o'clock, whatever it was, and I hadn't wrapped presents for my kids and so I tried to wrap these gifts and I was so drunk that I couldn't do it couldn't even do it and anyone who's (laughs) who's been there knows this frustration that Mm -hmm. comes from not being able to get your body to do this stupidly simple task and getting Mm -hmm. emotional and I started crying and I would get angry and I'm like I would drop the tape, the scotch tape at one point, and I just dropped it. It was somewhere around my feet. It's hard enough so, to do when you're sober. So yeah. drunk I couldn't find it. Yeah. And so I ended up getting really pissed off and I went into the garage and I grabbed apparently I grabbed some electrical tape and I literally grabbed all these gifts and like shoved them into the wrapping paper and wrapped electrical tape around them, you know, like wrapping an extension cord. Yeah. And then just threw them under the tree and went upstairs and passed out. And then Christmas morning we all came down and then it wasn't so funny anymore. They were know? all kind of like, what's this? Yeah, yeah, there was just this, this, and I never wow. felt more subhuman, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that even just putting myself back in that place, it's, it sure, it, 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 it shows how drinking is not the, the disease of isolation that the alcohol mm-hmm. would like you to believe, right. that it's not just yourself that you're affecting. Exactly. And and this was very real. And luckily, they were too young to really know, but my wife wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and probably even more tragic or sad was the way she, you know, tried to make it work for her by covering for me. Right. You know, and trying to make it a joke and, you know, saying like, oh, Santa yeah. must have been pretty busy. Yeah. 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 And um, that should have been my lowest moment because that's definitely the lowest I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. But I went on for years after that. And the day that I did finally quit was just a day like any other. But I really feel like I waited until all hope was gone mm-hmm. before I started fighting. And I, that, that seems to be an arc in my life that even happens in my ultras. Where yeah. I don't, don't usually typically start going until, until hope's gone. So I don't know why. Why that exists for me. Why you have to learn lessons that way. I don't know, man. Like, it's like when there's, I fight the hardest when there's, when there's no reason left to fight. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and that's, there's always that one, that one spot or that that beginning stage, that pivot point where you're just kind of like, you know, at rock bottom or really close. And I always find it real interesting as to what the motivation is to get people to get out of that, that comfort zone, because it's not, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Especially where you're coming from, because not only talking about, you know, being a far cry from where you are now, I mean, it's amazing to see how much you've changed. Um, when you start making some of these changes in your life, were there anybody on the, on the sidelines who were like, what are you doing? This isn't going to work. You know, you're Dave, man. You're, you're, the, you're the lobster and crab guy. What, do you, what is this? 
Well, yeah, there's a lot of those people, including me. I was mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? you're worth that to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, my wife didn't believe me when I told her I was finally going to get better. But, but you know, have you, have you said it before? Like, of course, I wouldn't do this. Of course, so she's another. Yeah, right. Yeah. We'll see. You know, it's funny because, like, when I, when I, when I give a talk, I usually start with those two stories. I start with, you know, something like the Christmas present story, and or no, excuse me, I usually start with Badwater mm-hmm. and talk about this amazing race because a lot of people want to hear the the running stuff and right. I don't want to talk about the running stuff. I want to talk about the other stuff. Such a small know? little byproduct to yeah. what's happened. But I do. I talk about this this amazing, you know, journey of being an ultra runner and and fighting against pain and and you know, getting up from the chair when there's no hope and dealing with pain and falling out and mm-hmm. this, this real dramatic stuff. And then immediately juxtapose that with the guy who who can't follow through on anything. Yeah. You know, how does this how do these two people occupy the same, mm-hmm. you know, person and and but that's the way it is that's the way life is that is wild i chose to be both of those guys you know yeah well so then when when did you choose to like say you know what if i'm one stream extreme to another like i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna run a 5k i'm gonna go do it you know you said a marathon too your goal was to do the marathon is that right it was you know and why david like why you know that's a very interesting question i don't know why I, i think um I wasn't a runner. I never ran. I never did anything like that. I think, you know, the beauty of life was that, you know, eventually if you stay in the game long enough, you get beaten down Mm -hmm. to the point where getting your ass kicked isn't that big a deal anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's common. And I was just so beaten down that I, I, you know, I had this like massively inflated ego, of course, you Mm -hmm. know, all addicts do, I think. They do. And, you know, I had to, I had to take a lot of beating before I let that go. And, And when I did let it go, I let it go in a really big way and, and to the point where I honestly started to feel like, you know, maybe not, maybe, maybe am I not only not the smartest person in the world, maybe I'm the dumbest. And yeah. I joked about that, but I really felt that like, it makes sense to me that the, the person who's like the dumbest person in the world probably thinks they're the smartest person <laughs> in the world. Exactly. Right? Usually <laughs> it works. So I'm like, I've got this all wrong. Like, and, and it's kind of funny to say it, but I really did feel that way. Like I'm wrong about everything. Yeah. I am wrong about everything. And baked into that was, well, that means I'm wrong about who I am, too. Yeah. And that's where the power was, mm-hmm. right? It was like, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I wasn't doomed to be this. Maybe in in constructing a skewed picture of the world that I had um, put myself on a journey that that wasn't necessarily who I was. In fact, maybe, um, maybe I was supposed to be a runner. Well, and that's the amazing part of your story, too. And, and. You know, for, for for you listeners, pick up this book. Out there is a, is a it's an amazing account of absolutely being able to change your life, and it's it's almost it's almost hard to probably fathom like where you were to where you are now, and the people you've met, the things you've experienced, the places you've been able to go. Because somewhere you had enough courage to say it's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen. Well, in 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 a way, it did happen overnight. In a weird the way, the attitude shift or the it had to right yeah. because because I I engaged in this this idea that um, you know whenever I'd, I'd lost weight like ten ten times I'd lost fifty pounds mm-hmm. and obviously I'd done like all of us and quit drinking a bunch of times and it never stuck yeah and so I I knew I started like really kind of trying to figure out get a real feel for what what's going on mm-hmm. what what is what is really at play here and you know I got this sense that. Um, you know, that whenever I tried to change my behaviors as, as a means to, to getting to a place where I wanted to be, that I was in de- direct conflict with the image of who I was. Right. And so eventually I'd give up. 
right? Because I'm like, okay, I'm 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 this guy who I always viewed myself as someone who struggles with weight, who's not athletic, who, who drinks and parties. So I'd convince myself for a period of time to not drink, mm-hmm. you know, to, to restrict my diet, my calories. But at some point you're like, this is too fucking hard. Yeah, what's the point and of all who, this? Who am Why? I kidding? Mm-hmm. Who am I kidding? So I decided that um, all that was bullshit and that I, I'm, I'm choosing to be this person. Mm-hmm. And so all of the work I did, and that's really what my book is about, is going about the the uh, constructing the illusion at first that this is it yeah and that's where insanity is such a powerful tool oh geez you know like absolutely because i've been convincing myself of shit forever i have the mechanisms already in place yep already established i just need to use them to my advantage now right so i did like i'm like what do runners do i decided i was a runner and i owned it and yeah there's a little fake it before you make it involved Mm -hmm. right but that decision happened instantly yeah and then my behavior started falling in line because i would go all right, I'm a runner. What does a runner do? I, I eat healthy and I run. I'm going to mm-hmm. run. I'm going to and I'm going to do these things, even though I can only run 15 seconds at a time right. and then walk a little bit and then run. That every time I took this action, and it's funny because people say, "Well, how do you know?" You know, like what? You know, I think I'm committed. I think I'm ready. I think I'm this. Right. You'll know because when you say it, it will be immediately followed by action. By action. That's it. Because if, if there's no action, there's no choice. You haven't mm-hmm. committed to shit. Yeah, you yeah. Committed. You haven't pulled Can the trigger I cuss yet. On here? I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. go right ahead. You don't need to change who you are. You're we, fine. We cussed on mine, so it's only fair. Yeah. I did. You're, you didn't. No, you're, you're, you're fine. And, that, and that's part of it is, Dave, that, that's you. you that that's, is. You're, you're a real person. And that's the thing is I don't want you to pretend to be something that you're not. No. And that's kind of like what you saw looking back at you in the mirror and you're like, you know what? Like, like I told you about the mountain bike, right? I was faking being a mountain biker until I became it. Same thing. It's yeah. the same concept. And I love the fact that you said when you know you're done, you're done. That's it. Because people have come at me and they've said, you know, Blue, you know, doing therapy with these people and, and had this debate over and over and over again. People say you can't just sh- shut it down by making a decision. And I'm like, no, you can because I did it that way. I've had countless amounts of people say, you know what? I'm done. And they were. Why do you think there's still so many people out there that don't believe that making a decision, not deciding, but making a decision to change really does hold true when you follow it with action? Because we as human beings, I don't think our minds, bodies, whatever you want to call it, is interested with what we're is it all interested in what we're casually doing. Mm-hmm. And we have this illusion that there's such a thing as like 99% commitment. Right. And there's no such 99% is zero. It's zero. Good if point. I, if I, I, I came here to Utah today, right, and I left Colorado, if I told my girlfriend, you know, I'm 99% sure I'm not going to fool around with any women while I'm in Utah. 99%. It, it probably wouldn't be a good enough percentage for her, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. There's no such thing as 99%. It's 100% or it's zero. And we're, we do ourselves this tremendous disservice by looking for the easy way. Right. And I've said that, I said it joking once. I think probably only, the only smart things I've ever said, I said as a joke. And then <laughs> nice. went, oh, wow, there's actually, that's, that's actually profound. pretty smart. But someone asked me, like, well, why didn't you do it sooner? You know, I'll make mm-hmm. all these changes. And I said, if I'd have known it would have been this hard, I'd have done it sooner. Right. And there was such truth to that. Because that is powerful. Because we rise to the challenge. Mm-hmm. We don't care about, you know, setting these small goals 
You know, we're, we're never going to realize your, your potential when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. As human beings, when you'll know, you'll never figure out how strong you are until being your strongest is required. Yeah, absolutely. And when I stopped looking for the easy way out and said, hey, I'm going to fucking fight for my life I'm here. not giving up. Mm-hmm. And, and start being on offense instead of defense. You know, you can only duck punches for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, but you start throwing some and things change. Oh, yeah. But that takes a tremendous amount of courage to kind of jump in the ring of life and start putting your fist up. I mean, good yeah. grief. Yeah, you got to get tired. You got to be really tired of being punched. And that's what I say, too, is that the, the reason why people fail to make that change is, and I know why I did, is that you would engage in this kind of thing where, like, and alcoholics are famous for this, right? Like, well, at least I didn't wreck my car. Yeah. You know, it could always be worse. I mean, yeah. count my blessings. Could have killed someone, yeah. Count my blessings. I fucking hate that. Like, mm-hmm. because I know it's supposed to be this exercise of gratitude, and yeah. we should count our blessings. But it actually serves a different purpose. When mm-hmm. Most of the times when we do that, we, we're saying it's not so bad. Yeah. It's not so bad. But like when we talked about before, like when, when you look around and hold your pain and realize how bad it is, yeah. then you're going to start moving away from it. Mm-hmm. But if you're constantly saying it's not that bad, it could be worse, at least I'm not here, mm-hmm. you're, you're telling yourself, I'm not done. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether your bottom is really high or really low. When you say this is enough. I'm done. This is enough. Mm-hmm. That's when you're ready. See, and I think that's the difference between what we, we teach about being a victim of, a, of an addiction rather than an agent of sobriety. Right. You know, yeah, people get like stuck that. in that victim mentality where things, the victim definition is a temporary state by something unpleasant happening to you that yeah. you can't control. And it also temporary. assumes there's a criminal involved, right? Like that something was in per- perpetrated on you. Exactly. And so why do people get stuck in that victim mentality? Like, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to see victims live in that paradigm of I can't. They live in scarcity. They live in, in consuming, take, take, take. Whereas agents of sobriety, they say, well, how can I? They're, they're not, they don't look at scarcity. They look at the abundance of what they do have. They don't get stuck in that consuming taking. They do more producing. They start creating things. And it's kind of cool to, to listen to you about that shift from being a victim of life to being an agent of, of your own understanding to yourself. Well, it's because we, we always see what we're looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we don't we don't we have this perception that we look out there and see what's there. But that's not true. That's not even true in the realist sense of what vision is. Exactly. Like interpreting our reality. And it's certainly not true anecdotally in life. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking for, a, you know, a reason to be a victim, you will. Find you'll it. find it. You will find it over and over again. But when you're looking for the way out, you'll find that, too. Yeah. So it, it really depends on, you know, where do you want to be? Like we had the conversation about. Is alcoholism a disease? Right. It it only matters is if you're looking to try to make it easy. To make it easy. I mean, it matters mm-hmm. in some sociological sense as far as allocating money and research, insurance and stuff purposes. Like that, that oh kind of yeah. Stuff. But for the addict, it's it's irrelevant. It's here nor there. It's irrelevant. But see, that's the beauty, though. So I'm I'm curious with you, then, brother, because you know, uh, again, folks, if you don't know who David Clark is, look him up. Get uh, get your nose in this book because. I look at what you said before. You you were the owner of your own business, making millions of dollars, doing very well, yet that was just bringing what you thought was security, job security, financial security, you know, but you weren't free. Almost worse in a way because, you know, all all my life I was told like like most people that those would be the things, those were the thing reasons why I wasn't That's happy. That's the American dream. That's why I'm not happy. Yeah. You know, in fact, I'm I'm living the American dream. I grew up here homeless, you know, mm-hmm. living in a in a pickup truck. And now I've got, you know, $8 million in the bank and I've got, you know, houses and cars and adulation and I'm doing TV commercials and all this stupid shit. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I used to wander around my house 
and like look out the windows and go, what what do all these people in these houses on my neighbor? What secret of life do they know do that they, I don't know? Yeah, you know, because I'm fucking miserable. How over are they here. making it when I'm in here being miserable? Yeah, yeah. You look in. I have every. If you would have given me a list, like write down what you want. You know, like power mm-hmm. of attraction, the secret. You know, all that kind <laughs> all of shit. All that good stuff. I would have written down all that stuff, mm-hmm. and and yet it it wasn't there. And it's funny because I do believe in the law of attraction, mm-hmm. and I used to give meetings on that in my previous life in the business world. Yeah. And we've all used it, right? You can attract people to use circumstances. One hundred percent. All this stuff, but you can't draw happiness to you Mm-mm. because it's. it's it's not, you can't. You have to create it. You can't drive it off a lot. Yeah. It comes from inside. Yeah. So you can't attract it. You have to cultivate it and create it. That's, am- that's and amazing. I didn't know that. Well, and that's the coolest part about that, though. I mean, being, being stuck and having that security and thinking that's what you want, you know, living a life that way, if you think, well, I want to achieve maximum security so there's no worries there. Maximum security sounds an awful lot like prison, right? <laughs> maximum security. What we want to do, and a lot of people in recovery don't know this, it's hard, it's scary, is you want freedom. You want financial freedom. You want you know employment freedom. You want all this freedom. But it's scary because you crossed that line, David. You did, you did it to become free, but that means you had to leave a lot of stuff behind. What was hard about leaving some of that behind? Because you did. Well, you had, I had to have. I had to really, yeah, I got no money, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't chase that anymore. But it's funny because security is the need to control masquerading. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want security. We want to be able to think we can control everything. Yeah. And we can't. And mm-hmm. and that's that's the that's the thing. Like, you, you start to accumulate a little bit, and now you become worried that you're going to lose it. You're, you're like, it. oh, I finally got all these things. You know, what, what happens if it's taken from yeah. me? What happens if the economy turns? What happens if my competitors get better? Oh, if man. all this kind of stuff. And so it's just, there's never any peace. Yeah. There's never any peace. And, and I had to eventually figure that out. And that's the beauty of life is that if I wouldn't have lost everything, I would have never gone on that journey. I would have never, ever realized that happiness was there all along. That's amazing. You don't have to even, you, you have to not learn how to create happiness as much, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. is, is you need to stop turning it off. Absolutely. You know, there's so many opportunities for that. I love that. Brilliant concept. We, and we do, we sabotage so much. Because, again, if I do something on a whack, I might lose this. And then that brings that scarcity back in. And we're forgetting that, man, it all plays into one great hole of, like, what, what are you doing with your life? I think that's great. There's always enough to be happy. There is. Always. And that's the funniest thing is when you start seeing how much you don't have, that's when you become, like, uh, you know, that's when you become truly happy. And, I, and I, it's, it's so funny, that, that concept. And it's a very human thing, right? So I see it in the fitness world, too, that... Mm-hmm. You know, you have this, you know, fitness competitions and bodybuilding competitions. And and I see a lot of these athletes who are chasing that perfect body. And the closer they get to that, Mm -hmm. the more they only see their flaws. Right. You know, and you can see these people have these bodies that anyone would dream of having, you know, Mm -hmm. no no body fat, abs going out like crazy, every styration of shoulders. And they're staring in the mirror going, my shoulders aren't symmetrical to my biceps and yeah. my calves are too small. And yep. and that's what we do. We accumulate wealth. And instead of it going, oh, I have enough now to get me by, you're going, oh, but I don't have enough to, to afford this lifestyle. And what if there's mm-hmm. a downturn and I need more and 
I need three houses, not two. And exactly, and try to do it without having to work for it all. Fill I mean, the that's hole. one of the, the biggest thing. Fill the hole. But that's that's hole. interesting too because you've made so many changes in life. I mean, you just mentioned too that you've even changed your diet. You're you now you, know, you practice you're vegan and you know that's. You know, some people will think, you know, there's no way I could give up bacon or that's that T-bone steak or whatever. And they think, well, you're you're kind of, you know, you're simplifying too much, like you're giving away too much. And some people get on that kick with being a vegan and they really kind of push it. And I, I haven't seen you do that. But what I do see is the fruits of that labor, like meaning like you are you are healthy, you are focused, you are strong. Eating addiction is just as devastating as any chemical you could put in your body. In fact, it's probably almost worse to a certain degree because all the stuff that we're consuming now. How has it been to change not only lifestyle, getting away from all the alcohol, but now changing away from what some people might think is, you know, really kind of giving up the good things in life for something better? Like, how was that? Because this is relatively new, if I'm not mistaken. You've done this for a couple years now? Eight years. Eight years? Okay, yeah. so it's not relatively new, yeah. but grand scale of things. What have you found? It was kind of like, yeah, just like this anything, is why. Just like anything, man. Like the only way you can't change how you eat, you have to change how you view food, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the change we have to make. So I feel like in making certain changes in my life that I created the template to make other changes in mm-hmm. my life, you know, starting with sobriety and then going on to other things. But to me, I run everything through this dichotomy that is what I'm doing making me happy. Mm-hmm. And if being vegan wasn't making me happy, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I started it to honestly just see if it had an effect on me as an athlete. As an athlete. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And as all it was is a 30-day, you know, I'm training for a 100-miler. And, and it worked. And it made me a better athlete. And so I kept up with the practice. But then ultimately, I don't classify myself as a runner or an athlete. I classify myself as a seeker. Yeah. And so this thing had brought quality, you know, into my life, something good into my life. So I decided to explore it more. And... And to be present with it and mm-hmm. to hold on to it and see what it, what else it offered. Is there a greater level of understanding and, and enjoyment I can get from this? And it morphed into feeling this connection, you know, with what I eat. That, right. That, you know, and I'm not the type of person that, that is an advocate trying to tell other people to not eat meat. Yeah. Or anything. But I got this point where it felt good to know, like, nothing's dying. Right. For me to thrive. Exactly. And, and so it gave me this more of a, a sense of compassion and a connection with animals and, and, and the food that I'm eating being alive and vibrant. And so it just it brought a quality of life to mm-hmm. me, which is why I stuck with it. You know, it's, yeah. it's not a prison. You know, it's not. And I don't feel And the, the funny thing is, I, I feel like if I wouldn't have made that change, that I probably would have continued to struggle with my weight. Right. You know, because I lost the weight. It was, I was you know, four years in three years in, but I was like exercising at a really high rate. Mm -hmm. And I was always feeling that struggle of food. You know what I mean? Like I had to adjust my training volume versus my calories. And when I couldn't train as much, I couldn't eat as much. So there's always a lot of math. There's conflict, right? There's no smoothness. And right now I don't think about that, man. I just eat and I enjoy it. And the things that I eat now, and trust me, like if, if, if anyone's thinking about going plant-based, if Mm -hmm. I could do it, Man, I made every joke there was about, you know, PETA, the people oh, for eating yeah. tasty animals. And there's room for all the animals right here on my dinner plate. You know, all of God's creatures. Right here. I mean, I made all the jokes, yeah. right? And, and you know, if I could change, you know, anybody can. And, and it's mm-hmm. not, 
it's not like this exercise in willpower. It's mm-hmm. like you don't stick with something for eight years because it sucks. Exactly. You know, you're forcing it. Yeah, yeah. it becomes part. And I, and I love that because, you know, right now, Addict Athlete, we've got a little side group going where, where a lot of people are, are watching more what they're eating. They're kind of doing some good things. And I'm watching them create this on their own. They're dropping weight. They're becoming more strong. And, and you know, it's one of those things where it becomes that, that course of wanting to pursue some self-mastery to say, look, sure. I've already kind of conquered some addiction issues. What else can I change? What else can I do to create something bigger? Or, or even maybe more for me, it was like, what else am I wrong about? There you go. You know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, am I wrong about food? Am I wrong about this? Mm-hmm. You know, am, am I wrong about politics? Am I wrong about, I'm, I, be, I love, I, I had like a, a Facebook status today on, when I was at the airport when uh-huh. we come out here and it was like, you know, um, something like being willing to um, fearlessly you know, attack my paradigms mm-hmm. brought me, you know, a better body, better health, better fitness, more happiness. So cool. You know, because when we, in some things you, at- you know, you, I don't want to say attack, but you explore and you mm-hmm. go, no, this is where I am right now. Yeah. You know, this is, this is the understanding that I have. I do that with, with even things like Buddhism or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like, is, is this just a crutch? Is this really have value or is it a bumper sticker? Right. right. And it's like, no, this is this is good. I'm going to stay here. You know, but that doesn't mean I have to be a monk. Exactly. You know, and, yeah. and doesn't mean I have to like stop saying fuck or watching hockey. Well, exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, those, are the, those, are the, those are all attributes of it. And I love that concept because sometimes we start thinking again in terms of that victim of scarcity, like in order to change life, I have to give up so much. But you gain so much more. It's just that conquering that wall of fear of like the unknown. I don't know what is coming next. And people that say, I don't know, that means you don't want to think. Just stop and just be and let it happen. One of the biggest lies we've been sold is that somehow our instincts are correct. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they can be. Mm-hmm. But that's not their function. Mm-hmm. They're they're just there to give information. Yeah. And sometimes they're right, and a lot of times they're wrong. And we can create such chaos out of that sometimes. I love it. So, Dave, you've done some amazing, like, athletic feats, too. And I think one of the first times you and I first, like, kind of shared even a small conversation was when you were running Badwater Addict Athlete was there, and I think it was 2013 or yes, something in that matter. And uh, we caught up with you guys uh, for a little bit. But you were cruising. You were doing so good. You had Brian and a few others with you. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about, cause they've heard from, from Jerem's point of view. Um, what was your point of view about that race? That bad water race is pretty amazing because of just what it means and what it is starting literally below rock bottom and then finishing at a, at a higher than high. And then you look at that in recovery metaphor and you think you came from below rock bottom to finish so high. What was that like for you? That experience? First one. It's, it's such a spiritual experience, it really is, because there's this interesting thing, you know, you're in Death Valley, and you're totally detached from society. You're not running through the streets of New York, yeah. you know what I mean? Or even Leadville, where there's people at aid stations ringing cowbells. You're out there, the phones don't work, mm-hmm. you know, there's no streetlights, you know, you're in the, 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 the topography looks like it's, you know, you're on Mars, yeah. you know, and you got the moonlight reflecting off the sand, and it's like ominous, and... And it's hot. The whole environment is trying to kill you. You know, there's, there's, it's not a coincidence that, you know, like yogis and stuff practice the yoga in the heat in India and experience, you know, mind bending (laughs) states of reality, you know, like, and you're going to hallucinate. And, you know, I think Badwater is the ultimate kind of um, setup for this. You know, everyone talks about, you know, an ultra and stuff. Is it, Mm -hmm. you know, mental? Is it physical? Is it all, it's all mental. And my contention is, and I've said it a bunch of times that, you know, these things are spiritual. Yeah. You know, because in Badwater is the perfect example of this. 
you're going to find the end of your physical strength. Mm -hmm. And you're even going to find the end of your mental strength. You're going to reach a point where you can't do it. You're convinced Mm -hmm. you can't do it. You don't want to do it. And it has to be something bigger than you. Mm -hmm. It has to be spiritual that gets you up and gets you to move in the absence of hope. Exactly. And there's something about being in that environment, I think, that just... um, you know, it's it's a it's a vision quest, man. It's you know, it's interesting quest. when you start seeing how many people that pursue that kind of sport, the ultra marathon, and being in there, kind of have histories of addiction and some troubled past because of of uh, this, this the mental capacity that it takes to like shut it up and, and just keep moving forward. I remember when Jerem was coming out and he was running up, I think it was past the pipe wells where you start doing that twenty-two mile climb, Towns Pass, Towns Pass, yeah. Oh my gosh. And I remember him saying to me, literally, you know, it was kind of cool. Dean Carnazes came up, caught us about that time. We're talking with him and I'm like, dude, the Michael Jordan of running right here. And I'm like, you know, just a, a starstruck. And I'm like, I'm wearing your, your New Balance shoes here, you know, the boa and all this stuff. And I was having a conversation with him. He takes off and I'm like, that was pretty cool, Jeremy. I look over and Jeremy's not doing real well. Right. And what he says to me blew me away. He said, right up here is where I got really sick last year. And as soon as he said that, I watched him get sick again. It's crazy. We got almost to the top of that bugger, and he had to plant the stake and go back and get some help. The thing was, is it was like he talked himself into being sick. He's like, I remember what I felt like. I remember this again. And I watched him convince himself that he was sick. Yeah, man. I, I truly believe that, you know, limits, all of our limits are self-created. And, mm-hmm. and I truly mean that. I mean, like, that. You know, maybe it's only theoretical, but if you could really harness the true power of belief, yes. you could you could transcend death and needing to eat mm-hmm. and you know, like any there's almost nothing disease. Oh, yeah. I truly believe that even even if it's theoretical, that mm-hmm. we are connected to the, my. I don't end at my body, my skin. You know, right. that's not the end of me because I need air to breathe. I need food. I need sunlight. There's no this concept of self of us just being a singular entity in the universe where we're all individual entities is bullshit. It is. And these these limits that we have, these self created limits, protect us from that in a way. Yep. And you spend enough time doing something like running Badwater or doing an ultra marathon, all of these societal construction and constraints and stuff just start to break down. It does. And and you're just not paying them any homage. You're Mm -hmm. just not thinking about them anymore. And you become singularly focused on allocating your resources to just move forward. So there's like this tremendous almost power of suggestion. Right. Because you can. I've seen it myself. I've gone from not being able to stand, Mm -hmm. not being able to move to standing up and being able to run well yeah. instantly because yeah. I willed it because I, I turned off the internal struggle. And in my book, the book I'm writing right now, I, I call it the switch. Uh-huh. I'm looking for the switch in my mind. That's cool. And when you find it, you flick it and you, you're a new person. That's what you talked about when you came out here to run the Squat Peak 50. I remember you talking about that switch. So I know that's been one of your philosophies yeah. for a while. And I think that's fantastic because that's exactly what Jerem did. We took him back. They did, you know, the, the the liquid salts and all that stuff. He came back out, and I thought he's not going to make it. There's no way. He pulled that stake, got his second wind, and didn't stop until he was finished. That's amazing. Any minute now, he's going to give up the ghost, but he didn't. But I, I know that part was because he suggested that's what happened last time, and it's what happened again. Right? It's the craziest thing, which made it more difficult the year you were doing it with us because he just wasn't ready. And he lost way too much, but that was more for us as a team to say, like, it doesn't matter about the DNF. It matters that he had a, he started, he didn't get a DNS. Right. Because the problem is we, we, we've, um, we've 
interjected ourselves into the race by putting a clock on it. Yep. So the only thing that, that, that broke down for him was the clock. Exactly. You know what I mean? If there was no clock, if there was no cutoff, he'd have figured it out. Yeah. And he'd have got there. You know, it's funny you say that because that was my introduction to, to, to ultra running was um, when I first started Addict Athlete, there was a, a, a guy that I was running with, one of our first athletes, Keith, and uh, he, he, was, he was just gung-ho to be on this team. Like, he was one of my original athletes. He was doing great. His family had some problems. They were in DCFS custody, and he worked really hard. He thought, if I can do a 5K, I can get my family back. And if I can do a 5K, I can get my family back. I can do a half marathon and all this stuff. Well, there was one day when he called me early in the team. It was in January, and we had a really dry like, winter. It didn't even snow that year, and I, I kind of loved it. But I remember looking outside the day I was supposed to go down and race with, with, with Keith, and I looked out the window, and it was raining. And I'm like, oh, man. So I, I'm so big of a wuss. I grab my phone, and I text him, and I say, uh, hey, brother, I'm not going to be able to make it today, but go ahead and have a good run, and you know, you know, I'm, I'm cheering for you. And I went back to bed. Well, stupid me, I get up and I look at my Facebook page and on Addict to Athletes wall, there's a picture of him and his daughter. The daughter that was in custody of the state that he had worked his fanny off to get back. And because I was too afraid to go running in the rain, I didn't get to see the fruits of his labor. Right. And so I went down and I apologized to him. I said, dude, whatever you want to do next, like I'll, I'll run with you. He says, well, I want to do the Pony Express 50. And I thought, oh, crap, man. So I had to honor that. So yeah. I'm out there running this 50, and I don't know what I was doing. I get my Garmin, and I'm trying to set the stupid thing, and I'm, it's beeping, and it's twerping, and it's not grabbing the satellite. And this old guy comes clawed hopping up behind me, and I wish I knew who he was because he was some kind of famous runner. And he says, son, what are you running today? And I'm like, I'm going to do the 50. He's like, well, how long do you think it's going to take you? I'm like, I don't know. I'll, you know hopefully I want to do it in like 12 hours. Well, I, didn't know, I didn't have no idea what I was doing. He said, well, if you're running the 50, you don't care. Take that damn thing off, put it back in your support vehicle, and just run. Yeah. And he and, and he like chewed me out. Right. And I'm like, okay. And so I take it off and I give it to my support vehicle. And me and Keith are joking back and forth. And and that guy just took off. Literally, I PR'd for my half marathon. I PR'd for a marathon. I finished that stupid thing, and it was the greatest thing ever. I don't run with time anymore. I don't either. It's one. It was one of the most amazing epiphanies. It's like. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we put those imaginary boundaries when we should just be doing it? I, I tell I tell my runners that even from a performance perspective, like okay, you're you're 40 miles into Leadville, right? You things are going, Leadville. you're running, you look down at that damn watch, and you know? it says you're an hour behind your pace. What are you gonna do? Yeah, you're gonna panic. What are you gonna do, man? You're gonna go harder. Yeah, you're gonna go hard over Hope Pass, or worse, you're an hour ahead of your pace. Now what are you going to do? Oh, yeah. The word, the information is worthless. I love You still it. have to run your race, and mm-hmm. you have to run it in the moment. Like, you have to – so when I went, I had this kind of period where, you know, I, I finished Leadville, and that was the big impossible. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately, you know, you know, kind of became that ultra runner, and I would joke. I would say, like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm not trying to win these things. I'm just a back-of-the-pack runner. Yeah. I, I start off slow. I taper off, all the self-deprecating humor. and. Yep. And then I, I didn't like that because, I mean, I don't, I don't care what my times were, but I'm like, that sounds like another prison. It does. It sounds like, like I'm creating this another identity, yep. a, a brand new limited Dumbing one. Dumbing it down, yep. And so I went back to Leadville the next year and I was like, I'm going to dump all that shit. And this time I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not saying I'm fast. I'm not saying I'm slow. 
I'm saying I'm going to leave everything I have out here on the course. Give them my all. And I ran it five and a half hours faster. <laughs> Amazing. And and I started like, I, it was funny because right after that, I told my friend, you know, I did this 12 hour race and I said, all right, you know, I'm going to win this thing or I'm going to blow up doing it. Yeah. Either way, let's turn on the camera and have some fun. Let's do you it. Know? And, but I had to go through this kind of surrender where it's like, cause eventually you get pulled into that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, if, even if I'm trying to win a race, ultimately I can't get hung up on what my time is yeah. because I don't know what that race is going to look like. Very analogous to life. Right. I don't know what the exactly. week's going to look like. I don't know what the month's going to look like, but I know that I can, as long as I'm doing the best I can in the moment. Then yep. it doesn't matter. That's the one thing you can control. It doesn't matter. If I do that all the way through the race, when I get to the finish, it won't matter if I'm in first place or last. Yep. Because I'm going to be okay. And those are the best races. Absolutely. Those are the ones that the time takes care of itself. And that's why I kind of wanted running to be kind of the forefront of what addict athlete does is because you're not really running against anybody else but yourself. That's just like addiction. You know, it's like you, you know, you're competing against yourself. That's it. So when they get the PRs and all that good stuff, it's great, but it doesn't matter because no one remembers that. No right. one remembers what position you came in. It's like, dude, what did you feel? What did you experience? What was the, well, what was good? One of the neatest things about addict athlete was when we'd do a run and they'd come back and for days after they'd talk about that challenging hill or how they got lost on that part or how they had to double back or you know what it felt like. And I love that they were racing the addiction and talking about you know the I got this kind of weed or I drink that much you know right. to you know, my shoes were, were, were not working. I got, you know, they're too small or I you know, didn't, didn't quite refuel quite right. And they're talking about things under a new light and a new kind of understanding and it really erased and replaced. Um, but for you, just, just to hear some of these experiences and these aha moments, these epiphanies, there's things that we do out there when you're racing and when you're running that you just kind of think, did I really just do that? Like you come to such an understanding about small things that have to do with you. I mean, when you, because you are an accomplished athlete now, you've done some amazing things. Is there ever a time when you look in the mirror and you still see that old person? Or is that completely just another life? No, no. In fact, I, I, I feel that sometimes when I'm talking, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, and I, and I get taken back to a place and I relive it. I, I feel that when I read out there. And because those words came from my brain, they came from my experiences, yeah. they came from my memories, and it so it brings me back there in a very real way. But other than that, no. Um, sometimes actually, it's very difficult for me to to reconcile the two. Mm -hmm. There's, it's such a long journey. It's like getting to the end of Badwater, yeah, and trying to in in an instant analyze the whole race. Exactly. It's so vast that you it's hard to to put. So I can like kind of focus it in at points and think. You know, how did this guy like Christmas presents get to bad water? Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, micro that focus down a little bit, but it's tough, man. And, and um, I'm just thankful I do. The gratitude hits me sometimes, That's you know, cool. just in, in a really powerful way, you know, just these moments where you're getting ready to go do something and that would have been an absolute impossibility. And I don't mean in, in a physical way. I just mean being able to come out here and do this yeah. and to talk to you and to get on a plane and, and meet people and, and be able to share stories and to be able to like, you know, peel off and stop my car and change into my running clothes, which I did before we, yeah, before before we came in here and just grind out a you know quick hour run or something like that. It's an impossibility. And I think that's the beautiful thing about combining, you know, running and, and sobriety is that it's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, not drinking for one hour became you know, a day and it became right. a month somehow and it became a year 
And the same thing, you know, no one's born with any endurance. You, mm-hmm. you go there and you just, you do it, you know, and if you're focused on, you know, if you go into sobriety with the picture of, oh, you know, I can't wait to be sober for a year, you're done. Oh, yeah, it's over. And if you go into running going, I can't wait to be able to run a marathon, you're done. Yeah. So you have to learn how to embrace the moment. Mm-hmm. And so it just does, you know, they, they feed each other pretty well. We talk about that a lot in treatment and recovery. It's like, you know, most people will come into treatment and they'll be looking for that discharge date. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, that's. That's like looking at the finish at the starting line there at Badwater Basin and then being like, I can't wait to hit Whitney. You know, it's just not going to work. It'll fold you. It's inappropriate, right? I mean, because there's so much that could happen in between there. And I think sometimes we do what we mistake in that. We think that we think that the the good part's going to be that finish line, but it's not. That's just you know, that's unfortunately the end of that experience. That's all that is. Every starting, every finish line's a starting line, isn't it? Though, and that's and that's exactly how this team kept going. I think it's freaking amazing, man. So you've got other things on the horizon, though, and I think it's a rad that you you do a lot of what uh, Addict Athlete promotes, which is you know you haven't typecast yourself into just one category. You're an author. You're you're going to be looking at doing some documentaries and stuff. Um, which is more amazing to you, uh, David Clark, the the endurance athlete, or David Clark, the author? I mean, which which one's kind of like whoa? I didn't see that one coming. You know, wow. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a better one. Like, yeah, <laughs> I remember. So I was, I, you know, I, I was training for an MMA fight, you know, and, you know, I had this incredible privilege of becoming, <laughs> you were training for an MMA. Yeah. Fight. Still, still working on that, man. I, and I had <laughs> this, I had this privilege of becoming good friends with one of my heroes. Cause I grew up watching MMA and uh-huh. Pat Militich and I watched oh, him wow. back in the, the old days of UFC and we became friends. Cool. And, um, he read my book and, and, you know, we have a lot of common ground and so anyway you know i've been training mma and sparring and doing all this stuff i'm like this is pretty weird you know and then it hit me i'm like okay what's more strange that i'm gonna fight in the cage or that i'm gonna fight in the cage as a lightweight yeah (laughs) you're like which one is more like bizarre (laughs) that i'm gonna fight 145 or 155 pounds which is the coolest thing man like big fat drunk day maybe i could be butterbean or something exactly but no it's 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 insane man but i I just embrace it and i you know i i certainly don't take myself very seriously and everything's a gift yeah that's funny when i was talking to rich and he asked me that question about you know that you like you you get um a lot of people Mm -hmm. that reach out to you and thank you and And, you know, when that happens, you know, I, I try to figure out a way where, you know, you know, I'd like to think, you know, someone will say I read out there and it changed mm-hmm. me and, and, you know, it, it helped this and that. And, you know, the reality is like you and I were talking earlier, when someone makes the, the choice to change, mm-hmm. they're looking, you know, oh, when, when yeah. I, cho- when I chose to change my life, I started looking for inspiration. I found Lance Armstrong mm-hmm. and I found, you know, Tony Robbins and I found whatever it was that spoke yeah. to me. And so now, likewise, when someone's out there struggling and um, they're looking for some inspiration and they start looking around and they see my book, yeah, you know, that gift's for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that's yeah. more of a gift for me than it is for them because if my book weren't there, they'd find another one. Yeah. So it's, it almost at times it feels like it's a, a karmic, you know, payback that's vast. So I just try to, I mean, I don't want to make that a prison either and feel like I have some big debt or anything. I'm thankful for it. And I, and I, and I respond by, you know, responding to every message that's ever sent to me and speaking when I'm asked to, and and just trying to um, be thankful for it. Yeah. You know, you, you bring up, you bring up Lance Armstrong and you were talking about having the privilege to meet him. And, and uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about that, about the understanding about everything that's kind of, kind of fallen upon him and, 
it's kind of an interesting thing because working with people in addictions, a lot of people get bad taste in their mouths for people that struggle with addiction because they don't get it. They don't understand it. They think yeah. it's just something they can stop doing. And, and I look at what Lance's at what Lance has been through and, and, you know, rightly so the guys, he took it on the chin and he's, he's done, a, he's done a lot. And I think it's one of these things where like you, you had mentioned, you know, if we are judged by the world, by our worst behaviors or worst actions, we'd all be, you know, in yeah. the crosshairs. And I hope that he writes another book one day and talks about this part because this is more important to me. I think with him is, is like, wow, like you know, how, how how do you wake up in the morning and kind of stand up and say, okay, here we go again. Yeah. With you know being so heavily like uh, in the limelight, but we did it somehow. Mm-hmm. He's gonna do it. Those messages I think are so much more important than whatever finish line we cross, whatever sport we're investing in. It's it's literally like walking proof that change is possible. You know, even with him, with you, with me, with a lot of the athletes that participate with us, it's you, you really don't have to just settle, you know, you can become something and it doesn't have to be, you know, what, what your parents or what your family or what society wants you to be. You can seriously move from an addict to an athlete or, you know, an, an addict to an athlete to an author. I mean, you can do these things if you'll put in the work. How hard is it or was it for you not only to put in the training, but then just buddy up to that computer and start pounding out the letters? I mean, how it's kind of cool to me because I think the same principles apply. They do. You know, and it's funny because Lance wrote that, um, you know, it's not about the bike, mm-hmm. right? Well, for me, it, it wasn't about the book. Exactly. You know what I mean? It was it was about, I wasn't trying to write a book, even though I was engaged in the process of writing a book. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make sense of it. You know what I mean? And, and I recommend everybody, whether you're in recovery or not, to, you know, sketch out the details of your life. You know, mm-hmm. what, what is the outline? You know, what, what jumps out at you that you would tell? And because in trying to tell that story... You're going to have to sift through it. And I learned stuff about myself that, um, you know, it's funny that the reason why I'm writing a book now mm-hmm. is because when I finished out there and I published it, the person that was publishing the book was so different from the person I wrote the book about oh, yeah. because of the process That's of the writing beauty the of book. It. Mm-hmm. So it's like I need to like I need to write more now to talk about how much that book changed me That's cool. because it profoundly changed me. Yeah. Yeah, and out it, there. And it, it's funny because when I write the the stuff about my earlier life, I had to be true, mm-hmm. you know, to it. And the book is is brutally honest. And, yeah, it and, is. And I don't, you know, I don't cut myself any slack. No, I, I noticed that. Beat up myself either, but you're very real. Thank and you, you can feel it too because you experience the same thing a lot of people experience. But the way you put it and and kind of knowing what the end result's going to be. It's like, okay, there's still hope here. As hard as this is, as difficult as this is, you know, yeah, spoiler the, alert, I die in the end. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the part of you does. It's cool though. Cause it does. It humbles you too, doesn't it? It, it does. But, it, and I had to write that first part from the perspective of who I was then. Then. So it, it can come across cocky mm-hmm. because not not the stuff about me as a runner. That's not cocky at all. That no. comes from a place of humility. But but I was a cocky motherfucker. You had when to I be. was in the mattress it, business. Yeah. You know, I was like, I wanted all my money. I wanted yours, and I was better and at this it. business, and I'll get it. You know, mm-hmm. and and so it was tough. But it, through that process of reliving that, and like you know, you're almost like. God, I don't want to write that, but it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you know true. if you leave it out, that it will be a hole. Yeah, it yeah. is because because I did feel that way, and mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of that anymore. You know right. what I mean? I don't need to. I own that. Like, you know, that's the funny thing we were talking earlier about, um, you know, when people criticize and right. stuff like that. It's like, you know, okay, 
that's fine. It's nothing to be ashamed you know, why, of. Why don't you go write down every one of your secrets and deep, darkest fears and publish that for the world and then come back to me and talk yeah, to me. Yeah, and then let them critique it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's such a, a cool thing because, you know, me being an LDS bishop too, like I was interviewed once and they asked me, well, does your congregation know that you had a history and a past? And I'm like, well, yeah, they have an addict athlete sticker on the back of my you know, car and, and they, they hear these podcasts, they do these things. I said, it doesn't, you know, it's, that's not who I, I am but this is who I am now. And it's cool because they're like, wow, you probably have a lot to offer. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I've been to the dark side. I know what it looks like. So it's, but it's funny how there's still that little taboo of like, but what if they really know who you are? Right. I'm an open book. It helps me stay accountable. I'm not a politician. The only reason uh-huh. you can attack me on my past is because I told you about it. I told it. you about it. <laughs> you, yeah. you didn't discover it. There's going to be no one coming out saying, David Clark did this to me. Nope. And yeah, okay, well, that's good. But And that's the beautiful thing because, you know, you do have some people that are like, man, how could you write that kind of personal stuff? You yeah. know, and, and it's like, well, honestly. We all should be doing it. Yeah, it's the most freeing thing you'll ever do. It is scary. Yeah. It is scary, and it's it's hard to do. It's frightening. You know, your, your mind plays those mm-hmm. scenarios through, but... The reality is, um, it's, you know, I felt like um, I went, the process of writing the book was to hand it back. It was like, here's the very worst of me. Mm -hmm. Here's the worst things I've done, the worst things I've said, all my fears, my doubts, my insecurities. I don't need them anymore. I don't need them anymore. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the coolest thing, too, is because when people get to meet you, they realize that you are a real person, that those experiences you've had, those feelings, those emotions, everything that they've experienced, too, different players, different degrees. This this is the outcome. They can do it too. It's that classic ability to like like have you inspire someone enough to say, look, if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's and a I, wee thing. Yeah, that's how I got through college. I thought I suckered them out of a diploma. There's no way as a high school dropout I should be where I am. And I think, well, man, I'm either really good at manipulating, or like I'm just you know persevering like 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 I'm running my own ultra. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know you got a hard out, but I need to know one thing. And I think you, you explained some of it, but I'm curious because the book, you guys, out it's called Out There by David Clark. Um, why Out There? That's a that's an interesting name. Why why did you pick that as your book cover? Yeah, there's there's a specific reason. Um, it had it served these mul- this multiple purpose, you know. Um, Obviously, when to, to look at someone who does these extreme races and something mm-hmm. like that, it's really easy. People go, oh, this guy's just out there. Yeah. You know, he's just nuts. You know, he's crazy. And I think that's okay. That's fine. They can think mm-hmm. what they want. You know, I'm giving away all my secrets. So think what you want. You exactly. Know? And then there was this thing that's like, well, I'm putting it all out there. You know, in this Perfect. book, I am leaving it all out there. Like there are no secrets at the end of this thing. Mm-hmm. And then the third and final thing was that when we have our friends who are still lost in addiction. We say they're out there. They're out there. They go, hey, how's your brother doing? He's still out there. Yeah. So it had this kind of like multi-pronged meaning that was just too too provocative to let go. Because I was going to call it, um, I, I can't remember. I had a few other titles. Like I think, you know, I can't even remember. I think I was going to call it Ultra Recovery Man at one yeah. point. I'm like, that's too much like Dean's book. And yeah. Yeah, I I get it. Those are all great ones. But I I love that concept. I love that philosophy. A lot of that stuff. It's it's probably not as easy as you think to like name a book and all that kind of stuff. But that's a perfect analogy. When it's right, it's right. As soon as I when as soon as I heard that, and I actually wrote a song called "Out There" too. That's it's actually to my brother who's who's still out there. Out there, oh brother, yeah. And that's that's the other thing too. We talked a little bit about our addict to artist program, and and that's that's the coolest thing about people that find themselves struggling with addiction is that they have so many flipping talents. 
if they'll just open it up you know it's the coolest thing i I love watching people come awake you know it's it's pretty pretty awesome i'm gonna have a ton more questions for you you gotta be you gotta be kind of a go-to guy for some of the stuff we want to do out here with book writing and documentary film and all that kind of stuff i think that it takes these kind of guys the agents of sobriety like yourself and, and the others that you've met with that uh really can help you know change the world i heard this once and maybe i'll leave you with this and it's uh I once heard that each person has the, the capability of changing up to 70,000 lives. That's just by you sharing your message, meeting people, and being able to be who you are. So residually, 70,000 people you know, that you will personally inspire. That means it takes 8,000 people to change the world. So I think that's pretty good numbers, man. I think we can keep doing this. I think we can find a time where we can start showing people that they're stronger than they think they are. They're not as broken as they feel they are. And there's always, you know, a better tomorrow if you make the decision today. And yet, like, so the math guy in me would, would say that um, 8,000, if you take that number and divide it by itself, you get one. Right? You get so one. It only takes one. It's the coolest thing. I love one. it. The math guy. That's, I'm not, bro. That's why I'm a social worker. <laughs> awesome. Athletes, uh, we have a, it was a privilege today to spend some time with you. Um, podcast, name of your podcast. Where do they find it? The We Are Superman podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. And you got you got your website up there too? Yep, wearesuperman.com. There's a podcast tab on that. Excellent. So, and um, you know, all kinds of good information. You can find me on We Are Superman on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check them out, you guys. Athletes, it's been a privilege. And remember to go turn your mess into a message.